And I was talking with somebody before, they're like, you're going to have two speakers? I said, yeah, we're going to have two speakers. And the allotted time slot is one of my sermons for both of them. And so you guys are ready and prepared for this. And so I want you guys to give a big redemption welcome to Hope Moquin as she comes up. Everybody, let's welcome Hope Moquin as she comes tonight. so much of the church that I got saved in that I dedicated my life to and it was just been so incredible to be in a church with people who just so authentically authentically love the Lord and yes that happens from the Holy Spirit yes that happens from God but that also happens from your leadership here and so Pastor Byron and Ashley you guys I just want to publicly thank you for your obedience to the Lord for you saying yes to the call of God in your life because it's so evident that you're making such a difference and so as a church can we give it up for your leadership thank you we honor you I don't take it lightly. It's Women's History Month, and so I definitely I don't take it lightly that I am a woman being able to share from a platform that's a big deal in today's society. And so it's like, hello, women, let's go. But when you think of boldness, um, I'm a little bit crazy, and I know some of you guys have already called me out for my southern twang. I'm from Georgia, so we're just going to deal with it. It is what it is. I'm a little bit southern, but it's fine. I'm fine. It's okay. Um, but when you think of boldness, you think of a lot of different things. It's like boldness. What does that mean? If someone stood up for something in history, that was a bold move. If someone takes a risk for something that's out of their comfort zone, that's a bold move. In dating, if a guy like goes to pursue a woman, it's like that's a bold move. Okay, so the other day, um, I had an experience with someone taking a bold move that they really probably shouldn't have. And so in Georgia, it is like our thing. We love coffee shops. Like everyone goes to a coffee shop. That's what we do. We have our meetings there. We do everything there. So I was at a coffee shop, and honestly, I, like, I was not having a good day. This past week has been crazy. The enemy has been trying to do all kinds of crazy stuff, and I'm like, sir, you need to back up because you're really taking me off. So I just like wasn't having the best day. And like how many of you ladies know like when a guy is like, you know he's trying to talk to you, you know he wants you to see him. And I was like, oh, here we go. And so like I'm just sitting there trying to read my book. I'm a huge reader and I'm like enjoying my day off. I was like, oh, I'm reading. And I was at an outdoor coffee shop. And usually when you're at an outdoor coffee shop, everyone sits pretty relatively close to each other. So everyone can hear your conversations. So I'm like sitting there minding my business reading. And lo and behold, I hear behind me, I hear, so what are you reading? And I said, you've got to be kidding me. And so I, I look over my shoulder, and I'm like, 
I'm like a leadership book. I said, what are you reading? And he begins to tell me how he's an actor and how he reads all these fiction books, which I really don't care about. And like, I'm just trying to be nice. I'm just like nodding my head. And then here's the bold move. He goes, so we should exchange numbers and continue to talk about books. And I said, um, no, we shouldn't do that. And everyone started laughing beside me and I felt bad, but I was like, sir, appreciate your boldness, but like, let's not do that again. I was like, that's not going to happen. I'm just not in the mood, but I'm really excited to be here and we're going to read a little bit of scripture. So I hope that's okay. I was telling them at lunch today, my opinion really doesn't mean anything. When I die, my opinion's going to die, but what does last is the word of God. And so whenever I do come to preach, I want to preach from something that's lasting, something that cultivates change in your life. And so it's a little bit of scripture. You guys okay with that? Oh, okay. This is a good crowd. Okay. So we're going to be in Joshua chapter seven. It's verses one through 13. And you're gonna have to bear with me because the Old Testament is a little bit crazy. I don't know how to pronounce hardly nothing back there, but I try because A for effort. Am I right? Or am I right? So in Joshua, the first um, verse in chapter seven, it says, But the people of Israel broke faith in regard to the devoted things. For Achan, the son of Carmi, son of, okay, here we go, son of Zabdi, son of Zerah, and the tribe of Judah took some of the devoted things, and the anger of the Lord burned against the people of Israel. Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is near Beth-Avon, east of Bethel, and said to them, Go up and spy out the land. And the men went up and spied out Ai. And they returned to Joshua and said to him, Do not have all the people go up, but let about two or three thousand men go up and attack Ai. Do not make the whole people toil up there, for there are a few. So about 3,000 men went up there and the people, and they fled before the men of Ai. And the men of Ai killed about 36 of their men and chased them before the gate as far as Sherebrum, whatever, and struck them at the destiny. <laughs> and the hearts of people melted and became as water. I want you to underline, and the hearts of people melted and became as water. Then Joshua tore his clothes off and fell to the earth on his face before the ark of the Lord until the evening. He and the elders of Israel, and they put dust on their heads. And Joshua said, O oh Lord God, why have you brought this people over the Jordan at all? To give us into the hands of the Amorites? To destroy us? Would that we had been content to dwell beyond the Jordan. O oh Lord, what can I say? When Israel has turned their backs before the enemies. He's probably moving that because he can see me walking. I'm a walker. I can't stay in one place. Just can't do it. Um, but in the case, verse 9, For the land will hear of it and will surround us and cut off our name from the earth. And what will you do for your great name? The Lord said to Joshua, Get up. Why have you fallen on your face? I want you to underline, get up. Why have you fallen on your face? Israel has sinned. They have transgressed my covenant that I commanded them. They have taken some of the devoted things, and they have stolen and lied and put them among their own belongings. Therefore, the people of Israel cannot stand before their enemies. I want you to underline, the people of Israel cannot stand. They turn their backs before their enemies because they have become devoted for destruction. I will be with you no more unless you destroy the devoted things from among you. Get up, consecrate the people, and consecrate yourselves for tomorrow. For thus says the Lord, there are devoted things in your midst. I want you to underline devoted things. And you cannot stand before your enemies until you take away the devoted things from among you. And so, God, we give this time to you. We thank you that you are good. We thank you that you are merciful. We thank you that you are ever-present and that you are moving. We ask that we would experience you in such a beautiful way tonight, God, in a way where we haven't experienced you before. I ask that you would interrupt our schedule, God, that you would show up and we would have such an encounter with you. We love you and we praise you. And it's in your precious and holy name. And everyone said, amen. amen. 
When Amaris got off that stage yesterday, I pulled her aside and I said, girls, it's like we got the same Holy Spirit because she came up here last night and shared a prophetic word all about consecrating yourself to the Lord and to get up. And I was like, this is my whole message. I was like, this is crazy. I was like, it's like God's already moving. And so I have been following the Lord for about eight years now, which is wild to think about because it seems like yesterday I was smoking God knows what, doing whatever, and then like the Lord redeemed me. And I'm like, eight years, that's wild. But when I accepted this call of God that I felt on my life, when I knew that I would be speaking, I made a pact with myself that if I ever go to a place where I don't really know the people and they don't know me, that I will always give a little brief story of where I come from because I never want to impart knowledge into somebody who doesn't understand where I come from because I don't want you to think that I just wound up one day and said, I want to do ministry. No, I did not want to do ministry. I say that ministry chose me because I wanted to be a lawyer and even working in ministry, I've tried to like hightail my way out of there and the Lord is just like, nope. It's too bad. You're going to stay put. And so I grew up in the church, but I didn't grow up knowing Jesus. And there's a really big difference that I didn't learn until recently that there you can grow up in church and you can know nothing about Jesus. And so both of my parents, they had marriages and they had kids before they came together and had me. My parents aren't together anymore. But my brother from my mom's side grew up with me. And when I was 13, he struggled with addiction and depression, and he had actually attempted suicide. And he left a suicide note when I was 13. And so rightfully so, my parents, their attention was on hand to get him help, but unintentionally I was pushed to the side and I was like, I don't really know what to do with my life. But let me tell you that God is a God of restoration or redemption because right now my brother is married with two kids and is such an example of a godly man. And that's what God does is that he takes people who looks like their life is going nowhere and he turns it into something so beautiful. And so whatever you're going through, he can do that for you too. I'm so passionate about that because I've seen it. And it's like in the society today, everyone's like, oh, like there's no hope for them. And I'm like, who are you to say that? I'm like, there is absolutely hope for them. You don't get to write the lives of people. God does, and God already did, and God wrote purpose in people's lives. And so I need to stop preaching because this is not my message. But anyway, so moving on. So we moved to Gainesville, Georgia when he went to his program. It was called Teen Challenge. Big shout out to Teen, Teen Challenge. I know a lot of people, and they're incredible. So we moved to Gainesville, Georgia. I was 13, started dating a guy older than me. That's what teenage girls do for some reason. I don't know what is wrong with us, but we all do it. And so by the time I was 16, I had already lost my virginity. I was an addict. I was drinking. I had multiple encounters with the cops. I got kicked out of youth group at a church in Gainesville, Georgia. And I was so firm in my belief of an atheist and that I hated the church that my parents actually paid me $100 to go to church just to get me in the building on Sunday mornings. And then I would use that $100 to go buy other stuff that I'm not going to tell you because you don't need to know. But I was crazy. I was crazy. And so when I was 16, they had enough of my crap in a sense. Can I say that? They had enough of my mess, whatever. And they moved me. <laughs> they moved me to Florida. And very quickly, I started getting involved in harder drugs because I was going through a detrimental heartache. And I found myself at the wrong place in the wrong time. And even though it was the wrong place in the wrong time, it doesn't justify what happened. But I ended up being sexually assaulted by three men, and it was so brutal that it put me in the hospital the next day. And I don't share that so you feel bad for me, and I don't share that because I'm going to play victim. I share that because I was so desperately want to relate with you on a human level. I want you to know that I have hurt in ways that you have hurt. I want you to know that it hasn't always been on the mountain, but I've been in really low seasons. I've hurt in a lot of ways. I've experienced confusion. I've experienced uncertainty, but God is still good. And he is so worthy, but after that had happened, my GPA was under 1.0. You ever met someone with a GPA under 1.0? Because, oh, you did, yes, sir. All right, that was me too. Uh, I don't know if I should laugh about that, but I was. And so I ended up dropping out of high school, 
at 16 in the 10th grade with absolutely no purpose in my life. And so people ask me all the time, they're like, did you ever think that you would be here today? And I'm like, no, I never thought that I would make it past 18 because I, I was clinically depressed. I didn't see any purpose in life. And I was like, if this is how life is, this is not something I can continue to show up for. I was like, you got me messed up. You're crazy. But to make a long story short, I met this girl, and this ministry program took me in at 16, went against all their guidelines, and I had an encounter with the Lord that changed my whole life. And at the end of those two years, this is where it gets crazy. At the end of those two years, the church that I got kicked out of in Georgia, they were opening up a ministry college for their first year. And I heard the Lord clear as day, and he told me to go back to Georgia. And I said, I know I didn't hear you just tell me that. I said, I'm not going back to the church that kicked me out. I said, no. But God always has his way. And so I said yes, and I left everything I knew to go back to Georgia. And everyone thought I was smoking crack, and I'm surprised that I wasn't, honestly. And because I was like, this is crazy. But how many of you guys know, like, because I knew God was calling me there, I assumed that it was going to be easy. I assumed that, like, he was going to have everything, like, smoothed out for me. No. I walked into the hardest two years of my life unknowingly, and I was so confused because I was like, God, I, I listened to you. Why is this hard? I ended up working three jobs, moved nine times, lived out of my car for a season, got engaged, broke it off, big oops, didn't mean to do that. But at the end of it, I ended up getting hired on at that ministry school, and so that's what I've been doing. I've been working there three years. I'm the associate director at Free Chapel College, and it is my, oh, if they're watching, I love my students. Like, it is the greatest honor and joy in my life to be able to pour into students' lives, to be like, hey, you do have a purpose. You are loved regardless, even if you got kicked out of this church. Like, you can still have a purpose and a job, and you can still walk in what God has for you because that's the kind of God that we serve. And so, give it up for the Lord, not me. I say it all the time. I'm like, I don't know nothing. I just know that I love the Lord, and it tends to work out, but... So that's a little bit about me, but there are so many seasons in my life where I would experience victory, I would experience wins, and it's like I would be right on the floor in failure and defeat. And I was like, what the heck just happened? I'm like, what's going on? But it was like my heart became like water, like I read in the scripture. Because so many of us will go through seasons where it's like we're on these high rises, and then something happens that either we get ourselves into or something happens out of our control and it's like our hearts are like water because we're, in, we're on the victory and our faces are in defeat. And it says in the scripture when these people, because you have to understand, right before the story that I just read, these people of Israel, they were on the greatest thrill of victory. They just defeated everything. Like they were celebrating, partying, like the good kind of party, not like the crazy kind of party. But they were just living their best life and then they found themselves in defeat. And one of the commentaries said, that because they were so in defeat and confusion, that there was an assumption that it would be better to not even try to take on the enemy because they were so in defeat and they were so in confusion. And I have been there in my life plenty of times because I, I get it. But what I had to learn, and I need somebody to hear, this is for some, I know that it is, is that failure, whether the failure is caused from your own actions or from something that was out of your control, is that failure will never weaken God's ability to walk you into freedom in your life, that God is bigger than that. And even if the failure is caused from your own actions, God is bigger than you. God's bigger than your mess. God's bigger than your mistakes. And let me just clear the air real quick. I have, I have read this Bible, okay? 
I have read it through and through. There is nowhere in the word of God that says that there is some kind of timeline from the moment that you fall to the moment where you're able to get back up again. The only timeline is a timeline that you put on yourself. So I want you to erase that out of your mind right now. You could have messed up so bad this morning, and if you choose right now to accept the grace and the mercy that God so freely gives, you could be the greatest instrument for the work of the kingdom right now if you choose. There is no timeline other than the timeline of grace. That's the only timeline we live by. The only timeline we live by is grace. Failure does not weaken God's ability. God made the whole world. What do you mean? You think your failure messes your life up? No, God is bigger than that. So bigger. And then going into the next context of scripture is Joshua. And I'm telling you right now, if you tell me that you don't relate with Joshua, you're lying. Because Joshua was so human. You read in the scripture, um, I'm also blind and lost my glasses, so you got to bear with me a little bit. But it says that um, in verse 6, I'm laughing because I can't see, but he said, <laughs> I laugh when I'm uncomfortable. I mean, Amaris were laughing about it all day. But it says in verse 6, so... Joshua, he tore off his clothes. I was like, that's a little bit dramatic, Joshua. But he tore off his clothes, and his face is in failure and defeat. And he says, oh, Lord, why have you brought us here? And you know what Joshua was just doing? He was playing the blame game. He just got quiet because this is something that we all deal with, the blame game. How many of you guys have ever blamed God for something? Uh uh How many of you guys have ever blamed God for something? There we go, because I have. I most certainly have. Last December, not this one, but the year before, um, let me tell you a quick story. So my dad, my dad is the best person in the world. He is such a man of honor, such a man of integrity, a lot more Christian than I am. So listen to this. Last week, I'm telling you, the devil really has been attacking. His truck got stolen last Sunday. I lost my voice yesterday. I had an incident with my family this week. It's just been crazy. But last Sunday, my dad's truck got stolen. And so like I sped home, we were dealing with the cops and everything. So we go upstairs and he's like, let's pray. And I said, pray? Goes to show how Christian I am. I was like, I don't want to pray. I said, we need to go get these people arrested. What do you mean you want to pray? He's like, we need to pray. And I said, okay, sir. I was like, whatever. Like, let's pray. So he begins to pray. And while he's praying, he starts to pray that the people who stole his truck would encounter God. And he starts praying for the salvation of their souls. And like, I like opened my eye like during his prayer. And I said, what? Because I'm over here. I'm like, get him, God. I said, you go get him, convict him. And he's like, God, I asked that you save them, that you touch them. And I'm like, what is going on? I was like, I need to love people like that. But he's just like the best person in the world and like always has been my champion. And to give you a little bit insight on the dynamic of my parents is like, that's how close I am with my dad. But the last words I heard from my mom was how much she hates me. And so like, those are the different dynamics with my family life, like what I've walked through. And so last December, when I was like Joshua, putting the blame on God, I get a call. It's the day after Christmas. I get a call from my dad, and he's sobbing. And I said, I've never heard him cry like this. And he begins to tell me how my mom had had an affair and that she's divorcing him. And I said, oh, this is not good for me. I said, this is bad. I was like, the person who I love the most was just hurt by the person who I love the least. And yes, I'm a Christian. I, I have my own problems, too. I had mommy issues, okay? People talk about daddy issues. I had mommy issues. I'm, I'm in counseling. We love counseling. But we love counseling. All right? And so <laughs> counseling, hey, everyone go to counseling. And so he calls me. And then the next day, or the same day, I had to drive to three hours to 10 buck two in the middle of nowhere to go pick up my father, who was just hurt by her. 
And in that moment and in that week, I was so mad at God. I'm pretty sure I cussed a few times. And I was like, God, I'm like, why would you allow this? Why would you allow someone who loves you so dearly to be hurt? Why would you allow this? Like, why would you give me an addict for a mom? Why would you give me such a broken family? Not on the flip side, what about you? Why would you allow my heart to be so broken? Why would you allow me to lose my job? Why would you allow this person to hurt me? Why would you allow this not to work out? God, aren't you supposed to be good? Aren't you supposed to be faithful? Why would you allow this? You been there? Blame is not a bold move. Blame keeps you bound. And what does blame keep you bound to? Blame keeps you bound to a faith that is conditional because the moment that you start to say, God, why have you? It's a moment that you don't believe God to be everything of who he says he is. It's a moment you don't believe God to be good in every season. You don't believe God to be faithful. You don't believe him to be the maker of all things new. Blame keeps you bound to a faith that is conditional. And a faith that is conditional never led somebody to Jesus. You know what it did? It leads them to compromise. And compromise will always turn the conqueror into the one who's being conquered. And you have more on your life than to have a faith that is conditional. Are you breathing right now? You have breath in your lungs. The Lord has been too good for you for you to have a faith that is conditional. You have to know. You want to be an effective leader. You want to be bold and reach your community. You have to know without a doubt that my God is a God who is good. Whatever comes my way, he is for me. He is faithful. He's not going to let me down. My life is written and and it matters because he says that I matter. Failure doesn't weaken God's ability. Blame will keep you you bound. You don't want to be in blame. You need to be in tune with the Holy Spirit. You need to know your word so you can stand on it when stuff goes south. Stuff is going to go south. It's life. It happens. But God always remains true. And then the third point I'm going to say this. You're going to be like, what do you even mean by this? The third point is enduring the enemy. It means testifying for your territory. So I want you to stick with me because this is going somewhere. I am a huge, I'm not no theologian. I'll tell you that right now. But I love commentaries. I love knowing the original Hebrew and Greek context of words. And so in verse 10, when it says, the Lord said to Joshua, get up. That word, get up. This is the original context of what that word means. It says, rise up, rising as an act of preparation, rising out of a state of inaction or failure, rising to hear God's word of becoming stronger, powerful, to endure and meet the enemy, of rising up to give testimony. And so what this is actually saying is when the Lord came to speak to Joshua, and I'm closing here in just a minute, when the Lord came to speak to Joshua, This shows the personable character of God, that he actually wants to talk to us, that he cares about us enough to talk to us. And what he's actually saying is, Joshua, I need you to get up from this position of inaction and not saying anything to this position of action. And I know that can be scary when life is going south and life is crazy, but the beautiful thing is that when God is speaking something to us, it means he has already given us the strength to do so. He's already preparing a way for us to do so. So what the Lord is saying is, Joshua, I need you to have an an understanding of what really matters, and I need you to put your trust in me to move from this position of inaction and rise up and say, devil, 
I know you told me that there's no restoration for my family. I know you told me I'm going to be like my mom. I'm going to be like my dad. I know you told me I'm never going to get this opportunity. But this is the God who I know, that my God is a God who is faithful, that he's true, that he has good things for me, that he's not going to let me down, that this is what I stand on. Because this is what matters. And the, one of the biggest things, I just lost my daggum spot in my Bible. There we go. And one of the biggest things that I see, I told you I'm Southern, but I see in this generation is that we have such a false perception of what boldness is. Such a false perception. And your Bible says that the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And if the band wants to come up. We're going to worship today because... Worship scares the enemy, and I'm a bit fed up with the enemy, and I think some of us need to get fed up with the enemy. We're going to worship. But it says that your Bible, your Bible says a thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Your Bible says that there is an enemy who roams around like a roaring lion, seeking to whom he may devour. How many of you guys know why a lion roars? He roars because he wants everything in the area to know that that is his territory. That's why a lion roars. And in today's world, we have social media and we have the media. We have this overwhelming roar of the enemy trying to declare his territory through things that are so unjust, things that are so immoral, things that are so wrong. And we have people who think that they have a voice and that they know who they are because they know how to type a stupid caption on Instagram. We have people who think that they are bold because they know how to win a Facebook argument. We have to stop fighting with things that don't matter. You want to make a difference in your community? You fight with something that matters. You fight with something that withstands everything. Stop fighting with your words and start fighting with his word. You have to know the word to use the word. You have to read the word to know the word. You have to be disciplined. This has to become personable to you. You want to make a difference? Consecrate yourself to the Lord. You want to be bold? Submit yourself to things you don't understand. You want to be bold? Lay down your life for the people who are coming before you and after you. This is what matters. Not Instagram, not social media, not whatever it is. This is what matters. And I'm closing with this, and I lost my spot again. I keep doing that, y'all. It's terrible. I don't need it because I know my word. At the end of Joshua... It says that the people of Israel cannot stand to meet their enemies because they had become devoted for destruction. What does that mean? This is why knowing your Bible is so important. The words when it says that the people of Israel cannot stand, those words cannot stand has the same primitive root of the words when the Lord told Joshua to get up, meaning that the people of Israel could not stand to meet their enemy because they were devoted to things that should have been destroyed a long time ago. I'm going to step on some toes, and I really don't care if you don't like me. I need you people to care about yourselves enough to care about the people you're going to meet. I need you to care about your ministry, that you lay down your life for things that are hindering you to your purpose. You don't have time to compromise. You are worth more than to compromise. Your ministry is worth more than to compromise. And you cannot leave here devoted for destruction because God has a plan for you. God has a purpose for you. God has put life 
in you. You are here in 2021 for a divine purpose. And if you want to be someone who is an effective leader in your community, you have to put to death the things that are stopping you from reaching your community, that God has a purpose for your life and nothing matters other than the unfathomable word of God. This is what matters. You wanna be bold. Bold isn't extravagant and loud. Bold isn't beautiful. Bold is found in submission. Boldness is found in saying, God, this is my whole life. I have to use my life to reach your people because I saw what you did in my life. And I think some people, we need to get mad at the enemy just because you have a call of God on your life, just because you're in ministry, you don't have to take beat ups from the enemy. Your family doesn't have to suffer just because you're called to ministry. Your family doesn't have to suffer just because you love the Lord. I think some people need to get fed up with the enemy. And because what happens is when the enemy throws lies at us, we don't have to receive them. His lies should actually be pushing us towards God's truth. And so you know what? I think some of us need to get this mentality of like, devil, I wish you would tell me how worthless I am. I wish you would tell me that there's no hope for my family member. I wish you would tell me I'm always gonna be stuck in this because this is the God that I know. And so whatever you throw at me, whatever it might be, this is the God who I know that is good, that is faithful. And I think Redemption Church needs to get on their feet in a spirit of boldness and start to praise God and say, God, you are why I live. Whatever happens in my life, whatever the enemy throws at me, transform the word of God is what cultivates change your opinion can go to the grave with you but this is what changes people you want to be bold consecrate yourself you want to be bold you share the word of God and so this message it's all about getting up and speaking out so one failure doesn't weaken God's ability in your life blame will absolutely keep you bound but enduring the enemy means testifying for your territory. That's your community. That's the people in your area. And how do you do that? You lay these devoted things at the altar. Whatever your devoted thing might be, maybe it's sleeping with that person, maybe it's bitterness, maybe it's rejection, maybe it's gossip, maybe it's unforgiveness, whatever it is, I need you to care about your community enough to lay it down so you can point people towards wholeness, so you can point people to the word of the thing that actually matters, the thing that creates change, the God who is so good, the God who brought you. I need you to remember where you came from. Remember when God saved you. Do you remember the fire that was there? There is a community who's so hungry for that. And so what are we gonna do? We're gonna worship. We're gonna put the enemy back in his place. We're gonna lay the devoted things at the altar so that we can go out and be bold in our community because what is boldness? Consecration is boldness. The word of God knowing it is boldness. So as we go back into worship, I want you to worship. I want you to worship so loud the enemy hears you. He's beat you up for too long. And today is your day. And if you want prayer, I know Byron can lead that moment, but we're gonna pray and today is your day to be bold in consecration.